Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome into episode six of our winter series for 2021 and 2022, as this weekend marks the uh, beginning of the second half of calendar winter. We're watching another deep dive of very cold air, spinning up another sizable storm that will impact millions all the way from the plains down in the southeast and then up along the eastern seaboard and into the interior parts of the northeast of New England. You know, we delayed our forecast dropping this week for a little bit. Uh, it's coming out here mid to late morning into the afternoon on Friday, and we We've done that just to get you the latest information on that storm, and we'll do that at the end of our podcast with AccuWeather meteorologist Dan DePodwin. We'll lead off that weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond segment with some uh, visits with uh, a friend of ours from Buffalo, where the Buffalo Bills and Bills Nation is going to have to endure some of the coldest outdoor temperatures of an NFL game in playoff history coming up Saturday night in Orchard Park. But up first, friends, in our first race of focus segment here on Everything Under the Sun, I'd like to give you a preview of one of the highlights for all professional meteorologists and folks that work in the weather field, a preview of the annual American Meteorological Society meeting that will take place at the end of this month. And our president of the AMS for 2021, Dr. Michael Farah, will join us as we continue on here. Episode six of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Founded in 1919 by Charles Franklin Brooks at a meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in St. Louis, and then formally incorporated in 1920, the American Meteorological Society is the premier scientific and professional organization in the United States that promotes and disseminates information about the atmospheric, oceanic, and hydrologic sciences. Its mission is to advance the atmospheric and related sciences, technologies, applications, and services for the benefit of all society. And it really incorporates a, a wide range of professionals, from the folks that uh, talk about the weather to you every day, to those behind the scenes that do a lot of research, science, community advancement, outreach, all things that we do to advance weather, water, and climate science and service. And we are pleased to be joined by the president of the AMS for 2021. His name is Dr. Michael Farah. He's got uh, multiple degrees from uh, a lot of places. And currently, Mike is uh, director of NOAA and NWS NSEP, the National Centers for Environmental Prediction. He's also had past affiliations with the Air Force, UCAR, and Science and Tech Corporation. It's our pleasure to welcome Dr. Mike Farah to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Mike, it's good to have you in. Um, you know, I was been talking to my colleagues and then been telling me so much over the last few years about how much AMS has done for them professionally 
I think uh, the proof is in the pudding in terms of what our status of our weather enterprise is in this United States and American Meteorological Society, certainly right there in terms of uh, the way it's helped shape meteorologists from all walks of life. And I think that includes your story, too, because you've done so many things, including being a chief scientist for weather operations in the United States Air Force, multiple degrees from all the great institutions, including Penn State, near and dear to my heart. Kind of the way you've woven your career together in terms of being a meteorologist, military basis, and then going into the scientific realm. That's kind of the way our meteorological situation is right now. Just so many moving parts in the country, but the AMS is kind of that glue, I think, in some ways that holds all that together between professional and public and university and private. Thoughts about that opening statement and what the AMS has meant to you professionally over the years? Well, Dean, you, you, I couldn't have said it better. In fact, we need to hire you as a spokesman for the AMS. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. There you go. All right. Well, I mean, I look at the AMS in, uh, through a very long lens. Uh, I was at Penn State. Uh, is my first year as an officer in the U.S. Air Force. I graduated with a degree in physics from Purdue. Thought I was going to go off and, and you know, work at uh, one of the laboratories or the newly formed Space Command at that time. But uh, you know, the Air Force needed meteorologists. So my first year was at Penn State. Was involved with the local AMS student chapter then. After two years in Germany, returned uh, to graduate school at Florida State for my master's and went to my first annual AMS meeting. I believe it was probably January of 1990 uh, as a first year graduate student. Uh, so, you know, joined the National AMS as a student member then. And, and it's been a part of my career ever since. I mean, I look at it's hard to imagine my identity as a meteorologist in the U.S. weather enterprise without the AMS. I think it's really a core part of my identity as a meteorologist in the U.S. And as you pointed out, you know, unlike most other scientific professional societies that really focus solely on the science, the AMS is, uh, it covers the entire weather enterprise. It does not just the science but through academia and labs, but also operational meteorology with the government which I've had a lot of experience with in the Air Force, as well as now at NOAA, National Weather Service, and, and then additionally, the private sector. So in that way, we look a lot different than the AGU. It's really, to me, the AMS is, like you said, like I guess you said it better than me, uh, that it's the glue, the conduit that really kind of keeps the, the entire you know, weather enterprise together, and not just the U.S. And my friend Bill Hook from the AMS, he made a point of saying that the AMS is, is a good name, except for it's the A's wrong. It's not just America. Uh, it's global. W, global. maybe world or G. Of exactly. Or global, and right, and right. The, the M in meteorology is also not accurate anymore because it's really, uh, we cover a lot of things for the Earth system. So we got a lot of oceanographers, computational scientists, you know, a lot of different multidisciplinary members that are part of the AMS. Yeah. Climate uh, science now getting really absolutely. involved in this and then environmental science and all that kind of stuff. So right. again, we're talking to Dr. Mike Farah. He's just been, in the last year, elected as president of the AMS. And I want to talk a little bit about that, because like most professional organizations, Mike, you get elected as president, and then you spend about a year or so kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of the organization. And then you spend your year as president. And the AMS uh, kind of runs that concurrently with from the 
the last conference to the current conference is your term. So you're coming up towards the end of your term here at the end of the month. And I know one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you as well, not only with the conference coming up, but the decision that had to be made just a couple of weeks ago to move from in-person to virtual. Now, you know, obviously, I'm sure a lot of people are disappointed, but I know being involved with RMETs and their virtual conferences here over the last couple of years and some of the things they've done. I mean, it can be successful, especially given the people that you have involved and the information that you're trying to put out there. But it had to be a tough decision to take what a lot of people in this profession look forward to being amongst each other in person and then move it virtually. Talk about the decisions a little bit in that. You're absolutely correct. It was a tough decision and it was very disappointing. We've we've been working towards this as a team uh, with our team of volunteers, people like myself who are not AMS and staff, but, you know, volunteer our time uh, as AMS members. And then our professional staff, which is uh, headquartered in Boston. Together, we've been working on this for well over a year. And uh, after a very successful but but a virtual conference last year due to COVID, we were obviously looking forward to coming back together as a, as a community. We knew early on that we had to plan for the eventuality that we may get unlucky and a variant emerges and peaks just at the time of the conference. And unfortunately, that's what's happened. We had always intended to instill and, and follow through to the very end of that decision to allow uh, individuals to make their decision as to what their risk tolerance was. We weren't going to make it for them. We weren't going to hold a conference where we felt we'd be unsafe. But when it came down to it, with the new controls we have in place, with the new knowledge of how uh, the value of masking and the uh, the new, and uh, not so new anymore, vaccines, we took precautions that we could, and we were ready to have folks come together. And those that elected that they, you know, for their own reasons, would not want to come to elect to take the you know the virtual option. Uh, and we were poised to do that right up until you know the end of the calendar year. Uh, that's when the variant really started to change things, and people made those decisions. And so, what really led up to that decision was kind of a critical mass of things happening all at once. We had several key people that needed to make the meeting work for very valid reasons for their for themselves and their family decided to go ahead and shift to the uh, uh, to the virtual option uh, and individual uh, or excuse me and organizations that were going to be presenting and, and, and hosting events there started to pull out so in the end we really lost the critical mass we needed to make a successful virtual excuse me in-person meeting and so uh, we made the decision then to shift to hybrid but uh, excuse me to shift to uh, the remote or virtual only. But we had that hybrid model in place, not only to allow people to figure out which option worked best for them, but to give us the ability to to, to pivot at the last minute if we had to. And unfortunately, we had to. And that's understandable, Mike. I think, uh, you know, obviously, right now, we all need to be safe. Um, One of the great things about this is the the passing on of information, and that can happen virtually as well as in person. And so... Talk to me about some of the things that folks who will be attending virtually will will get to hear this year. Are, are there some keynotes uh, that you are excited about as you look ahead at the uh, the conference and, and the annual meeting here, the schedule that's happening here at the end of January? What are some of the things that are most exciting to you on the docket? Well, I mean, as always, the annual meeting is, uh, is a conglomeration of multiple individual science and policy conferences. And so this year we have about 40 of them, which is comparable to the previous year. So there's a lot going on. The way we plan this, uh, it allows us to pivot at the last minute to all virtual. So 
the, the content will be this almost the same as it would have been had we had it all in person. Uh, so those of you who are you know, big on numerical modeling, the annual NW, the NWP conference will be there. The same thing can be said for many, many other uh, conferences. So as always, I'm excited to, to, to see the new and emerging science. But one thing I'd like to talk about just briefly is the theme of the annual meeting and it's environmental security, which is the, the national and human security impacts of weather, water, and climate. This has been approached, that, that intersection of the, the science and policy and real world implications have been around for a while, but this is the first time we've spotlighted it as our central theme of the meeting. So I'm really, really excited about bringing in world-class experts uh, in the international development, diplomacy and other areas, the national security space are gonna come in and talk to us uh, about how our science, whether hydrology, the climate science, you name it, uh, impacts the world uh, and they're part of it. Uh, so I'm really, really excited about the presidential forum that kicks off the conference on Sunday afternoon, where we have uh, experts from the United Nations, the, the new administration. We have Jane Lubchenco, who's the senior climate person at the Office of Science and Technology Policy that reports in the White House, uh, to include my friend Sherry Goodman, a former Undersecretary of Defense for environmental security, climate security issues from many years ago, uh, who's been active in this area. She'll come talk to us about that. We've got, and even we go from the national to international, uh, all the way down to the local. Um, mayor Turner of Houston, who um, is not just the mayor of Houston, uh, who have you know in a city that's had a lot of environmental security things, such as right. power outage last year um, and Hurricane Harvey a few years ago. He's also the chair of the Climate Council for, for mayors across the country. So we're I'm really excited about that as well. Talking with Dr. Mike Farah. He is president of AMS, getting ready for the annual meeting here at the end of the month. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I'm a professional meteorologist, a broadcaster, a researcher. I mean, that is a way that I can get involved with membership. Is there a place in the AMS for, for the better colloquial term that we use in our office, weather weenies, people who are not professionals, but certainly spend a lot of time looking and feeling and thinking about the weather. Um, is there a place for those kind of people who aren't necessarily professionals in the AMS? How do people get involved, the general public? Sure. I mean, there, there's two ways. I mean, one, you don't have to have an advanced degree in meteorology to be a member of the AMS. Uh, we have people that are involved from educator. We have educators, you know, whether it's, you know, from elementary to primary, you know, to high school to college educators, and science that are, that are members. We have people on the policy side and business, et cetera. And so if you have, uh, you want to get involved in the weather enterprise, you know, meteorology degree is not a prerequisite. But in addition, recently we've stood up what's called the Weather Band. It's an AMS-sponsored weather enthusiast uh, organization uh, that you can get involved in. So you can find that on our AMS website and it links to that. Uh, this is where, this is really targeted more to weather enthusiasts uh, late, you know, not scientists, but, you know, lay people, if you will, excuse the term, that can come and hear science presentations and other kind of things from professionals, but really more geared to the general public. So that's, I think, two ways you could possibly do that through the AMS. And third, a lot of places, just like you're sitting there at State College, you know, they do have local AMS chapters. Yes, we do. That are affiliated, but they're not officially a part of the national AMS. And so there are ways to get involved there as well. 
Well, Mike, uh, best of luck to you as you get ready for the conference. Kind of bittersweet, probably, because uh, it will mean the end of your presidency. You'll still be involved. And that's the way they do that. Uh, Folks are involved after they be president for a year. They stay in that hierarchy of executive leadership for a couple of years. But has to be exciting, a little bittersweet that we can't see everybody in person. But going to be many great things to be talked about and listened to at the conference. Thank you so much. Mike, for joining us here on Everything Under the Sun. All right, thank you so much. It was good to be here. If you'd like to follow Mike on Twitter, his Twitter account is Mike, M-I-K-E, his last name, F-A-R-R-A-R underscore W-X. As we tell you folks, that's a kind of an industry and a professional shorthand for weather. So it's Mike, F-A-R-R-A-R underscore W-X. And then the AMS Twitter handle is AMETSOC, A-M-E-T-S-O-C. Follow them along on Twitter and certainly go to the website. Uh, just search American Meteorological Society. Great information about how you can get involved and all the information that will be going on at their annual meeting. Thanks so much for uh, Mike spending some time with us. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, playoffs. Yeah, we're talking playoffs. The NFL's latest start to the playoffs in recent memory. Going to bring some interesting weather, including one of the coldest games in the NFL playoff history in Buffalo Saturday night. And that's all part and parcel of this massive outbreak of cold air and a big storm that'll be rumbling through much of the eastern half of the country as we go later in the weekend, early next week. We'll talk about that coming up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun, Episode 6 of our Winter 21-22 series as we uh, kind of take a deep dive like the cold air is going to do and spin up a big storm here in our weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. And we're going to start talking NFL playoffs, where the folks in Buffalo have been waiting over a quarter of a century to have a home playoff game. It's been 1996, and you go back to 1994, where they played a game where temperatures stayed in the single digits, and it looks like that's going to happen in the playoffs again this year for the Bills and the Patriots Saturday night. Brayton Wilson, a reporter for WBN Radio, our Odyssey partner, and also has done work with WGR, the Odyssey station that carries sports, and the Bills up in Buffalo joins me to talk about how Bills Nation is preparing for this incredibly cold game, especially with the joy of finally being able to host a home playoff game after so long. So, Brayton, as I, I said there in the setup, one of the interesting things was when we look at this slate of games for the NFL playoffs this weekend, late start now because we've added the extra regular season week. Uh, and now here we go uh, early to mid-January and uh, the folks in Buffalo are going to be suffering in what could be one of the coldest games, if not the coldest playoff game ever. But when you look back at the history of Buffalo Bills playoff games, there's actually more games than not that have been above average back when the playoffs <laughs> used to start back when I was a kid in December. Right. right. Uh, but uh, uh, interesting. And obviously because Buffalo has not hosted one of these in over 25 years. So it's got to be excited. But then, you know, the Buffalo fans, I know a few. We've had uh, a couple <laughs> of them through our halls here at AccuWeather, including a dear friend. Steve Travis, who uh, now works for the National Weather Service, but he spotted for me in Beaver Stadium for a few years. And so he's a huge uh, Buffalo Bills fan. And I've been there announced uh, at Highmark Stadium. So I, I'm, I'm, I know that they can withstand it. But 
when you look at these numbers of temperatures, it could be in the single digits. Uh, it's a little daunting to think about getting ready for that kind of outdoor experience, enjoying the Bills playoff game. Yeah, no, this this weekend's game in Orchard Park is going to be uh, cold. It, luckily, there's not going to be much of a wind factor, maybe a slight breeze, five to 10 miles per hour, but uh, and really no snow that is expected and if there's going to be any snow it's just going to be maybe a light flurry or something like that but to, to have it to be five three degrees for a I, I guess the highest temperature we're going to have but right. you know throughout the entire game that's cold and it's not necessarily the the coldest game the the bills have played ever in the playoffs i mean back in 94 part of that 93 run and their last run to the super bowl they played a game against the raiders in orchard park that was zero degrees at kickoff and i think the wind chill was in the negative 20s or something like that maybe even well, a little colder yeah, that, that's going to be interesting i think the wind chill or the accurate with the real field temperature would have been worse that day but yeah. we are talking about the temperatures actually could end up similar. And sometimes our modeling isn't necessarily the most amazing for for temperatures, especially all things considered. And the other thing, too, is we're basing this off meteorologically. And we got to make sure people understand that the official temperature for Buffalo comes from their airport, which is Mm -hmm. right next to the lake. Now, Orchard Park's inland a bit. Now, we have all these um, great mesonets now, right? And where I can look and I'm looking right now and and there's not much of a difference Mm -hmm. between the airport temperature in Orchard Park. Uh, and you're right. I think the wind factor situation. But, you know, as we're looking at this, this is the uh, AccuWeather forecast for that game now is temperatures could even drop to or just below zero before the Ooh. end of the fourth quarter. So, Dang. yeah. So, I mean, this is either going to be the second coldest or the coldest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing that Buffalo and that area is known for is the Lake Effect snow machine, which can dump feet. <laughs> Yeah, um, including that seven foot mammoth extravaganza that I I have I have some really dear friends from Buffalo. A couple of them are volleyball players, including one of the world's best volleyball players, Matt Anderson, who's mm-hmm. uh, from that area. And so he was he was stuck in the middle of that seven foot. So we talked a lot during that. Uh, he wanted to know when it was going to end, but at least no snow for this, Brayton. So, yeah, but Bill's fans know how to fuel up and be ready for that. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is uh <laughs> This is uh, something that, you know, we're talking about playoff history weather, but there's been plenty of regular season amazing cold games, including let's talk about that December game. Right. December, the wind and the snow uh, night game. Right. Was that the the Monday night game that uh, was yeah. so, so ra- radically cold between these same two teams, the Bills and the and the Patriots? Yeah, well, actually, for that game, I was I was sitting at a Bills backer bar down in Bradenton Beach, Florida. I was enjoying <laughs> myself down there. Good, but good spot, but yeah. I know people that were at the game. I know I I know that it was windy as it could be for, you know, as high as 40 mile per hour wind gusts throughout the game. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that the wind had played such a factor in that game that the Patriots only threw the ball three times in that game, three times with, with yeah. Mac Jones as their rookie right. quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, it was pretty amazing to see Josh Allen being able to throw as well as he did in those conditions. And he put up a great effort. The Bills, you know, not necessarily had some good decision-making that game, but I mean, overall, it was really, really unique just to see how much even the ball, when those punters, they get the ball and they catch them and then they're dropping them to their foot, Mm. how much that ball would just shift Mm -hmm. in, in the air as it's going from, you know, 
waist high to your foot, punting the ball away. I mean, just the wind conditions that day watching the game at the very least was incredibly, it it was just amazing to see how much of the wind played that much of a factor and just how the Patriots played it out. And, um, you know, Hey, the bills almost won that game. It was, it was not exactly their best game of the year, but certainly comparing that game to what we're anticipating coming up Saturday night, it's going to be drastically different. Give me in one sentence, uh, the feeling of the bills nation being back in the playoffs after such a long drought. Being back four out of five years is enthralling. I guess that's the way to right. say it. Just because, right? I, yeah. I guess the, the the way to say that though is hosting a playoff game for the oh, you know, getting oh, yeah. back in. Yeah, you yeah. Climb that mountain over the last five years, but right. now finally being able to host one after it's a it's you know quarter of a century. Oh, I mean, I mean, the atmosphere is electric just because last year the Bills held two games in at home for the playoffs. But given the covid pandemic, they were only to have, I think, 6000 fans in attendance and everybody had to be spread apart and right. socially distanced and everything. This time around, it's a little different. They're expecting to hopefully sell out. I know that the cold is probably going to steer plenty of fans away, but uh, to have a, a full stadium, to have the crowd back into play and, and affecting things down at, in Orchard Park for a playoff game should be very electric uh, Saturday night. Thanks, Brayton. Looking forward to see how folks handle that cold. You can follow Brayton on his Twitter at Brayton, B-R-A-Y-T-O-N, his middle initial J and his last name Wilson, all one word. Brayton J. Wilson, B-R-A-Y-T-O-N, J. Wilson. And then obviously uh, odyssey.com slash W-B-E-N for all the coverage of the uh, Buffalo area. Let's uh, bring in our Director of Forecast Operations, Dan DePodwin, as he takes a look at this uh, NFL forecast going forward as we uh, look at some of these playoff games and this big storm that we'll be watching here over the next few days into the weekend and in the early part of next week. Dan, as I bring you on into everything under the sun, we're recording this midday Friday. We've kind of delayed a little bit for some reasons here And one of them is just to try to get the best information on this really impactful storm. Let's kind of keep on the theme here. I mean, uh, of the NFL stuff and start there. So the games on Saturday, especially that game in Buffalo, I mean, we're talking about one of the coldest NFL games in history, potentially, certainly up in the top five or top 10. There's also, I think, Cincinnati's a place I want to watch on Saturday because, I mean, into Sunday, there may be a little bit of snow there. Some wind issues for Jacksonville and some thunderstorm issues for Jacksonville, Philly. Those could be problematic there. The rest of the slate of um, games don't look too bad, but that cold. Wow. I mean, even hardy Buffalo fans, even Bill's Nation may have trouble staying warm on Saturday night. Absolutely, Dean. Uh, We've got weather in a lot of different games in a lot of different ways. We've got the cold in Buffalo where it's going to be close to zero. Certainly with at least there there won't be that much wind. There probably will be a light breeze, but even a light breeze when it's close to zero will he could feel well below zero. So certainly need to bundle up for that game. And I would, it may have an impact on, on that game as well. At least both teams are from new England area. So they're used to playing in somewhat cold weather. I think the more impactful one could be the, the rain down in the uh, Tampa area there for that game. Although now it's looking like it may end a little sooner. So it may be out of there for the game and it may be just a wind issue, which will be a crosswind down there. It looks like a West wind, which is uh, across the field there at Raymond James stadium. I know that well. I was just there 
Uh, it was beautiful, sunny, and warm when I was there on January 1st. Sweated a lot in my suit, but uh, yeah, I don't think they'll have that problem as much uh, at uh, Tampa. And if I said Jacksonville, I meant Tampa. Sometimes, <laughs> I don't know why, but I get those uh, two cities mixed up. Let's talk about this storm, Dan. Um, you know, this is quite a, a situation. Another push of intensely cold air already starting to come into the Great Lakes Temperatures are slowly falling, and the core of that cold air is going to be over the Great Lakes tonight into tomorrow and then settle over the eastern two-thirds of the country into tomorrow and tomorrow night. And then as it starts to lift out, this bowling ball of a storm dropping down through the middle of the country, taking a turn right around St. Louis and then going up through the Ohio Valley and towards the eastern seaboard where we expect to have some really big ramifications. Now, it comes in the heart of a holiday. Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so there may not be as much travel and an impact on Monday, but I'm looking at some of these snowfall amounts. And I think some of the areas that we're really targeting on this upper Midwest, um, I think uh, Western Pennsylvania up into upstate New York and the interior part of New England could get thumped a little bit. Things are a lot more tricky along the uh, Eastern seaboard itself, where we could start with a little thump of snow and go over to some rain um, but uh, it's a tricky forecast that really is going to be dependent on track and speed. We talk about that a lot at AccuWeather, and I think that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on over the next 24, 48 hours. It's clear that there will be a significant snow event, as you mentioned, all the way from the Midwest and down across the Tennessee Valley. Some concern about some very heavy snowfall and quickly falling snow that can cause significant travel issues across northern Arkansas, southern Missouri, and then parts of Tennessee and Kentucky Saturday into Sunday. And then we shift our attention further northeast. Uh, with there looks like there'll be over a foot of snow. I wouldn't be surprised to see some totals surpass two feet in some of the higher elevations of western northern Pennsylvania, parts of upstate New York, where there can be probably two or more feet of snow. The I-95 corridor is a very tricky situation where there could be some slick travel at the start with a burst of snow Sunday evening, maybe between 4 and 8 p.m., somewhere in that time frame, and that can cause just enough to cause slippery travel, and then it likely goes over to just plain rain, but it's going to be very windy, too, and that could cause some power outages with downed trees along the I-95 corridor. So a mostly right now an interior snow event, a significant one, but still issues for the coast. And as you said, even with the rain along the coast, I think one of the concerns that I have is the veracity of the storm. It's, it's energy. Even though it's rain, it, there could be flooding issues. You know, it doesn't take much rain at all to flood and give problems around the New York City area. So, um, yeah, a thump of uh, maybe snow and slush and then over to a wet mess and then you got to worry about the return cold air. So, you know, you're going to have all this snow on the ground. That cold air is coming over it again behind the storm. And so places that may have been wet or slushy are going to start getting icy then as you get later Monday into Monday night along those areas that did maybe miss out from the major snow. So, yeah, it's uh, the I-95 corridor is going to get spared major snow, but we could have some issues on the front end, back end of the storm and even in the middle. So uh, I'm more... New England really intrigues me. What is going to happen up around like Boston? And so I can see that uh, if, if this starts to deepen a little bit, as some of these storms do, as they come up along the eastern seaboard and slow down a little bit, there may be some higher totals a little closer to the coast there. But yeah, this is one, um, you know, we talk about our AccuWeather app a lot on everything under the sun. And we've got some great features with the way we present the information for winter storms, which kind of gives you ideas of ranges and talks about the precipitation type over time. And I think that's going to be a key, especially in some of these areas, say from I-81 eastward, where we're going to have mixing issues in this storm uh, to 
keep an eye on that because yeah, you might start mixing and think, oh, it's not bad. And then three, four hours later, as the cold is coming in and it's going over all snow, it can get really icy and bad in the matter of minutes. Then you'll know that ahead of time if you're following along on your app. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dean. And also that that corridor, I-81, and then as you head north and west of 287 in, in New Jersey and then further north in and you know, as you head about 50 miles north and west of, of I-95 is an area of concern where all you need is a track of the storm about 50 miles further east, and you start running into significant snow issues in those areas, too. And we're still two-plus days away from the beginning of precipitation, so definitely want to keep continue to monitor this. A lot of times we see you know, cold air is dense. It's denser than warm air, and it's hard to move. So sometimes it takes a longer time for the cold to leave, um, and that's always something that we watch, too, to see if there could be snow or more prolonged snow further south and east than we might expect at this time. Rest of the weekend, look, uh, if you want nice weather, go west, young man, young woman. Um, we've got the Denver over to L.A., mild and dry. Some precipitation up in the very extreme Pacific Northwest and up into uh, western Canada. But uh, all the storminess in the middle and eastern part of the country. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on this uh, storm. I-, I wanted to circle back to one more thing with you, Dan. I know um, you and your career here at AccuWeather have been one of the folks I know that has spent a lot of times going to AMS. And we talked about that in our first raise of focus segment. First of all, as a professional meteorologist and someone whose uh, career track has taken them from operational meteorology into management and stuff, how important has the AMS been to you and your career development? Yeah, it's been a really great part of my career. I've been fortunate enough to attend many of the annual AMS meetings, as well as that of the National Weather Association, another great professional society within our industry. Uh, The AMS, I I went when I was a student, when I was at Penn State, I was able to go and meet a lot of people within the field, both students and professionals. I think one of the biggest things, you know, I guess a couple of things that come to mind are the biggest impacts for me is one, the ability to meet people, not just within my specialty, within operational meteorology, but meet people who are within other parts of the field. And you really gain an appreciation for how the field works together um, and how we are able to best serve the public and businesses with our our information to help protect lives and property. I think you really gain a good appreciation for that by attending these meetings. And also, obviously, the science, right? You're always looking for new, new ways to predict the weather, new ways to communicate it. And that's always talked about at these meetings. So I think the networking side of things and also learning about the science. And I've made a lot of great friends outside of AccuWeather um, at these meetings as well. And I still connect with them uh, on a really regular basis. I know it's kind of sad that it's been more virtually for this year, but uh, we have to do what we have to do. Uh, I still think uh, people will try find tremendous value in uh, being able to get together, whether it's on the Zoom. Uh, but, uh, you know, we all really hearken to the days when we can get back together. And 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 I think that face-to-face communication, we see that in the office. We're better at predicting storms when we can see each other face-to-face and talk to each other sometimes. And so, uh, and another year where we have to deal with it, but uh, I know the value of that organization and what they have provided to our American meteorological kind of uh, uh, enterprise that we have, which is the nice mix of private companies like AccuWeather, public interest, the National Weather Service and our universities and research and all that. It comes together in that form. So, Dan, thanks for the thoughts on that. I know that you're going to be working hard this weekend, as the rest of us will. Uh, Have a good weekend and we'll watch this storm carefully with all of us here at AccuWeather. Keep up to date on your AccuWeather app. Thanks for joining me here on Everything Under the Sun. Absolutely. Thanks, team. And friends, that'll do it for episode six of our winter series here in 2021-2022 of Everything Under the Sun. Next week, we'll kind of 
take a look at where we are in the winter forecast as a whole. We'll get some of our long-range team involved with that and talk to you about other aspects of where the weather meets your life. Come for the weather state for your life as we talk about it right here on AccuWeather.com and everything under the sun. For all of our hundreds of team members who work so hard every day and are going to be working hard on this storm this weekend, and for all of our folks that go behind the scenes in terms of our podcasts, including our executive producers, Ken Prowl and Andrew Robb, we appreciate your listening. If you've got feedback or want to ask a question, you can email us at podcast at AccuWeather.com. That's podcast at AccuWeather.com. Our email will get you to us in terms of suggestions, comments, questions, and we'll talk to you next week. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.